Youssef is a DJ, producer, and the man behind one of the UK's biggest dance music events, Circus, in Liverpool. And as a proud scouser myself, it was an honour to sit down with Yoss to find out how he's achieved so much success and how he's kept Liverpool on the forefront of the electronic dance music scene in the UK. You probably all remember back in April 2001, Liverpool turned into the centre of the club and universe as Circus hosted the first dance pilot event. And in this episode, we discussed whether events have fully recovered since that point and the challenges this comes with as a promoter. After over 30 years in the music industry, Youssef revealed his secret to success is actually very, very simple, laser focus. We also learned how social media has changed the clubbing and the music scene. And we also learned that it's not always fun and games, as Youssef tells us about mistakes really being inevitable when you're putting on an event and knowing when to take a hit on a show as well. This conversation is also a really good insight into the life of a touring DJ and how that does have to change when your family grows and Youssef talks us through some of the challenges he's had with that experience. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Youssef has been such a big part of, of my journey into to club land and festivals and events and he really played a big part in my rite of passage into this industry. So I hope you take as much from this conversation as I did and enjoy. I'm Yusef to the stage today, who's joining us for our live podcast recording of Business Keeps On Dancing. Uh, so what we're trying to do with Business Keeps On Dancing is tell a story and really put a spotlight on the people who are traditionally, you know, behind the scenes of events um, and festivals and kind of learn their journey and how they've come to put on successful um, events themselves and also their own career journey. So Yusef, we've got a lot to cover with you today. We've got DJ, label, events, everything in between. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get stuff into it. But thank you for joining us. How, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Feeling reasonably well rested. I was up at uh, half five to travel down here. Yeah. And here we are. Well, and it was two hours early, which is quite rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. Um, I've actually been, been dying to get you on the podcast for a while. Obviously, yeah. the Liverpool connection. Um, and I guess just looking at myself as a, as a young raver coming through the ranks in Liverpool, I've danced at your parties, I've watched your set, I've stayed up till all hours listening to the tunes on the label. So for me, it's, it's actually played such a big part in, in, into my kind of right of passage into the world of clubs and music and events. Um, so I guess the, the question on my mind was, you know, Yousef's been, um, Yousef Circus has been around for so long and I guess yourself have been around for, for so many decades. The thing I'm trying to understand today is how you maintain that success for, for so long, really. I imagine a lot of stuff has changed in that time, so it'd be interesting to get your your thoughts on that. And I've always wondered if you could bottle up that, you know, what's made you so successful, what would be in it? I know that's the, uh, the million-dollar question. No, it's still steady, it's just what's it? <laughs> yeah. it's, no, it is. It's really, really easy. Really? Anybody can do it. It's dead easy. It doesn't matter whether you want to run a coffee shop, or be a pilot, or be a DJ, or work in industry, whatever it is. No distractions, just put your all into it. And if it feels good in your gut, and that's what you want to do, do it and don't let anything else get in the way. Because if you want to kind of pop into something as a part-timer, forget it. Yeah. Because that's all you're going to get out of it. But if you really commit to anything, you're prepared to do hours and hours and hours and hours while all your mates are smoking weed or playing on PlayStations or any, any of these other irrelevant business distractions, you're not going to get there. Yeah. But if you're like, okay, I want to be the best I can be. I'm going to practice 10 hours a day doing what you want to do. 
and eventually it'll come to fruition. It doesn't matter what you do. Great. Laser focus then. Mm-hmm. You've, uh, you've answered the very last question that I was going to ask at the end. No, sorry. <laughs> You're <laughs> joking. We'll work our way back. <laughs> um, uh, but one observation that I've, I've certainly seen, I guess, firsthand in, in, in the past few months and, and the past year is your dedication and, and passion for the scene. And I've, I've you know, seen the firsthand uh, the work you've been doing with Mike Kill and NCIA to really try and save the scene and make sure um, the whole of the nighttime industry uh, wasn't decimated. And, uh, fingers crossed we're in a place where it looks like it's um, it's on the way to recovery. Uh, the first dance was obviously a big a big moment in that. Um, obviously, Circus and Liverpool was the first music event to take place following lockdown. The videos, the pictures, it went viral. There was so much emotion in it, myself included. Mm-hmm. I, I remember walking in and, and Jay Organ came to me, uh, meet us at the, at the front. And as soon as I hugged him, my lip was wobbling. I was going straight away. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I've been in this situation so many times. Um, that happens when you hug Jay. That's The side effect of James Organ. <laughs> um, but listen, I know you spoke a lot already about the journey from lockdown back to the first dance. What I wanted to find out is, what's the journey been like from the first dance back to events reopening? And what's been uh, that like for you and, and Circus? Well, it, it's been precarious. Like very difficult because obviously after the first dance everything happens and they've got like what is it it's like seven billion interactions around the world and there's so much kind of energy and um, attention on it. Of course, when we were allowed to reopen, we kind of opted to take the responsibility to keep uh, testing in the club before it was mandatory by the government. So we, we, we were expecting that was going to come with some obstacles and hurdles, but I think because we prove the points and illustrate that this is the best way to kind of keep going and because if you don't stay one step ahead of the game um, maybe we won't be able to operate um, but fortunately Warehouse Project as you know and then Fabric in London and Shinding in Newcastle and a few of the other places all kind of agreed this is a good thing to do let's all just do it um, ahead of the government and when it came in by uh, testing for the government we were six months ahead of the curve and I think because of that um, it really helped us build up a rapport with the audience and the ravers, and it helped us just kind of maneuver through it. Now, what was difficult though was the drop off, because what was happening, because if people did get COVID or the bought tickets, maybe, you know, sometimes a year, 18 months in advance, then you either forget to go to the gig, plans have changed, don't want to go. So obviously, you can't really oversell the gig, so people would arrive in and they're being kind of sometimes. 30, 40% drop off, which is killer. And they might think it's okay if we keep the, the, the entrance fee, but it doesn't work like that because the economy works on bar take as well. Yeah. And you've hired the bar staff and the drinks and the security and all that. So it was precarious. But, and also we, we lost our venue. <laughs> so oh, there is course, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, got, we got turfed out after doing the first dance, probably more done. Um, for reasons I won't go into, which are nothing to do with us, we were asked politely to move on because Everton were uh, bulldozing it very soon after. So we had to find a new venue too, which came with a whole host of difficulties. We found a new venue in the warehouse and we had to kind of uh, purpose it for, for the events on top of trying to get, get through it and then sell all the tickets and then have a great time and then make people feel like they'd be doing this forever. But really, every day was a, a new challenge. But... Within challenges, that's where the good stuff is. You know, when, when you kind of your back's against the wall, that's when the magic comes out, I suppose. And since August, when we got the venue, by chance we happened to open on Circus Birthday with Carl Cox. 
it's always a good place to start, right? So <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. And then we had a real amazing series of events and obviously difficult drop off, um, people not coming, trying to deal with a new venue and other additional complications, I'll be saying. But overall, since we got back, it's been excellent, I would say. Scary, but excellent. So looking back on that point up until where you are now, would you say we're fully back to normal as, uh, as the events industry from your own experience fully recovered or are there still things that we're, you're trying to navigate through? Um, well, what we're navigating through at the moment is, of course, we were the only place open in the UK, really. Um, so we, it was easier to kind of book the major talents for, for the events, you know, but now everywhere else is open. You know, America was open a bit sooner, but Europe in particular. So now we're finding it really difficult, not difficult, harder to kind of um, get the kind of major names that, that we are associated with, you know, we're accustomed to, if you like, because other, other events have been shut around in Europe for kind of two years too. And they're like, okay, we want DJ X, and they're offering crazy fees. And they've got sponsors and they've got like huge bar takes and all these things. Which a lot of them we don't do have sponsors, and you know we can't offer crazy, crazy fees. The uh, good and the fair, but um, so it's 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 coming. It's become become more and more difficult. But Rich, my business partner in circus, and I have spoken. Look, we've been doing this for twenty years, and Rich is like the master of the masters when it comes to, to, to booking. And let's just go our heads down, roll our sleeves up, and let's get back into the trenches and see what we can do. And that's exactly what we've done. So if you look at our calendar now until the end of uh, this year, it's it's unbelievable. So so yeah, I think again when adversity gives you a kick, that's when the magic happens. Yeah, oh, amazing. Good to say. So do you think um, you know this time next year? Do you think everyone will be kind of back fighting as they were? Because it almost felt like when the return of events did happen, there was this huge gold rush of tickets. There was almost like this honeymoon period. Well. Yeah. It kind of felt like it did peter off and it, it did become a struggle and for many different reasons and things outside of even COVID factors. I think there's a lot of hesitancy at the minute with the people buying tickets still and we are kind of seeing that across the board. So do you think this time next year, do you think we'll be completely back to normal or how do you see it? Who knows? Because I think people's appetite for for um, going to waves all night has changed in some ways. Unfortunately, we're, we're daytime. So I think that's why we've kind of circumnavigated it a little bit. Um, it's it's hard to say because there's variables that you just can't see coming. Like even people being able to travel with airports at the moment, it's a nightmare going through Manchester or anywhere in London, uh, just trying to get through. So maybe that might put people off travelling and think, you know what, I want to go to events back in the UK because they're great. So and then the war in Ukraine and all this other thing, like you say, why the variables? People might think, you know what, I don't feel like partying at the moment yeah. because the world's in a kind of Difficult situation. Yeah. But on the other hand, traditionally, if you've got a quid in your pocket, the last thing you'll spend it on is getting wasted. So, or going on to end up So, who knows? I have to say, in terms of the creativity with the events and the creativity with the, the artists and people making music and things like that, it's never been better. And I think that's a lot to do with the slowdown and people having to take time because the, the, the music that's coming through and the artists. And the, the range of artists and colours and creeds, sexualities has never been better. So with that, I think the future looks uh, positive. Okay, brilliant. So looking at your kind of business as a whole, then, and you know, talking about how we how you keep your business dancing, 
it'd be good if you could just talk us through everything that sits under your um, kind of roster of, of projects and brands and events and labels. What, what sits under that? <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah I, I don't know. I'm just busy little bit. Yeah. So with the, um, I'm interested to see with, with the team, because obviously it's, it's one thing being a, a DJ traveling across the globe, it's one thing running the label uh, with, with huge releases pretty much every month it seems. Uh, and then you and then you've got the, the events in Liverpool, but you take them all around around the world as well. Like, how big is the team? Who does what? You know, how do you actually get through all that amount of work between you all? Yeah, well, surprisingly, the, the team's actually really small. You know, there's me and Rich um, and Neve, and Neve is a girl that came and started putting up flyer flyers like these things ten years ago, and now she quite literally runs our company, um, and, and, and that's the events side of things. And she knows more about the detail of how to run events than, than I do, by, by some way, actually, to be perfectly honest. She's brilliant. And then we have Jay Organ, you know, makes you cry. Yeah. And then like, uh, Tom. So it's a small team. Tom helps me on the label, and he helps me on my socials. And we kind of all, all walk in a little bit. And then, obviously, we can to producing the events, because it's not like we just show up and it's all ready. Our warehouse is completely empty. So we have an amazing production company, um, Sam Newson and his team at Tech UK, who put it all together and they're literally the best in the business. And they have an amazing health and safety guy. And all these don't work for us, but they, they work per event, if you like. Um, but in terms of running things, it's, it's absolutely tiny considering. I have, I have another team called Labelworks that helps me distribute the label, you know, get it onto all the kind of digital sites and things like that. And then another company called Listen Up that helped me market it to radio and DJs. But it's it's pretty small. And the way I operate is because obviously DJing is the first thing I do. But then the events close second, if not slightly over now. And then running the label and then making music. And even making music, even though it's difficult to kind of get a return on it. But creatively, I have to do it because it kind of settles the beast in like and kind of get that creative juices out of my body where like everything else can kind of get done. But when I'm doing that, and I'm also, I've been homeschooling the children for five months, on top of everything else, it's bananas. But you do find a rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and because everything is connected as such, you know, we think, okay, I'm going to release this record then because I can put them on the event there, and then, um, you know, this is what I want to see going forward, and everything's kind of interconnected. Um, it kind of works, but I know that the children, and I could be homeschooled in a couple of weeks, then we'll have an extra 25 hours a week to do everything else. The world joins there. Well, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> what else could we start? Same <laughs> jobs. I don't know. I don't know. I've got like, stuff like this, you know, which um, I enjoy doing and working and helping with the NCIA, which is all I've done for really two years now on a volunteer basis, and I love it. Who knows what it's going to lead? And that's how I've always operated. I always give things a go until we turn into something. Yeah. So I guess that's what I'm doing now. All these projects are so close to your heart and I think creatively, you know, you, you want to have your own steer on it. How do you make sure you've kind of still got an input on all of those different brands, but you obviously haven't got you know, more than 24 hours in a day? Like, what does your week look like? How do you give everything as much attention as it, as it needs? Or, or is that even possible? No, no. I, you know, Rich and I um, still book circuits together. I, I book most of it, but Rich has really waited in lately. Um, so I, I do all of that. Uh, I run the label in terms of the A&R, signing all the music, making sure that that's all organised. 
Um, obviously, I make my, my own music, but I've got to a point now, just because of time and because of sonic capabilities, I want my music to sound incredible. So instead, instead of like making the music, which could take a day or two, I make sure I bounce off the stems and have them sent off to a really pro studio somewhere for, for the mix down, so it's really kind of finished. For two reasons. One, I want it to sound better. And two, I don't want to spend three weeks in a car going, oh, I don't know, is that right? And all that stuff. I want it to just be done. Then I can move on to the next creative part, and that's, that, that's what works for me now. Um, but again, like I say, they all, all feed into each other. And obviously, I like to exercise as well because it's really important to make sure everything else works. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't think I do much else. You know? what's, what's the best part of your job and what's the worst part? Um, best part is definitely always a DJ because it's what I do, what I do best. And when for every DJ set to play, you've got to play new music. It's completely essential. I, I won't even consider doing a set unless I've got 20 new tunes that I've literally never played, that I've only just like downloaded or bought that day. But when I'm playing those tunes, and I'm doing something because I'm quite tricky as a DJ, when they all connect, and I'm excited to listen to that music, and it goes off, and I've done something that's really difficult, and it all happens at once, that's the best bit. Um, the worst bit, is something that I've really stopped doing, and that's being away from children. You know, because I'm really hands-on and top, super committed dad. Um, so I make sure that there's the children and my vitality. Anything else has got to fit around that. Yeah. yeah. It, it must be, um, I don't want to say the word difficult, but it sounds like some days you've got to have a kind of DJ public profile hat on, and then some days you need your, your business hat on. Is that... And a difficult transition between the two, or is it just be the same person inside? Well, when I, when I started Circus, and obviously I'd already been touring DJ already, um, and then suddenly I had to start picking up the phone at the time to, to agents to essentially book my mates, and I hated it. You know, I was thinking, oh, you know, I felt like, you know, I wanted to be more of one of them. And even though I had a kind of relatively decent profile, I still do. I didn't like it, but over the years, I've learned to kind of really quite enjoy it. And actually, I've got really good at it. So I guess you can just flip between the two quite quite easily. And like I said before, because there are so many dots that connect, I can just go, hold on a second, and give you a remix or a release on the label. And actually, we're, we're doing something in India, trying to get over there, and, and we do, do, do all these things, and it's connected. So it's kind of the same thing. You know? yeah. And it's, still, it's creative in its own way. Yeah. Well, going back to the early days, and as you mentioned, when you started having to like, pick up the phone, yeah. what was the first event? Because I think I read an interview once when you said that you it was £500 and an idea. That's how it started. What was that first event? Where was it? How did it go? What went right? What went wrong? What, what you might not know is originally Circus was meant to be at Cream. Now, okay. I was resident at Cream, which was like a famous nightclub in Liverpool, so, and that, that was kind of like like Michael Owen or Robbie Fowler playing for Liverpool, you know, I really wanted to do that because I was always on the dance floor. And eventually I got the residency and then after a couple of years, things at Cream were so different because I was playing like underground house and techno in one room, playing six hour sets. And then in the other room, there was kind of like candy hard house. It was too much for me, it was too much of a chasm. So I said to them one night, look, let's, let's start our own event. 
uh, after some crazy party in Miami, which was literally a circus, I was like, okay, let's call it circus. Uh, we learned that's a whole different it's a topic for that particular party. Um, but then we came back and so excited, I got everything ready, and a green shot out the blue, um, and they shot their weekly for reasons that they understand. So we had all these posters and everything ready. And then, so Rich Foamy, who was already my mate, Rich McGinnis, who runs um, Warehouse Project, Circus Shibuku, Art Life, who's also one of my best mates, you know, way before any of those accolades. And he said, you just want to do circus in this club I've got, which is his girlfriend's dad's club at the time, called The Mask. And I was like, okay, let's just do it. So we, we set up, we decided to do, um, to go halves on it on the spot. We put 500 pounds in each. And another thing we did, we had all those posters ready. And it said, circus is coming to town. And then the cream logo underneath. So we went uh, to a local shop and had the cream logo cut off. And put the web posters all over Liverpool. <laughs> it was scouts as it gets. <laughs> but it really, really worked. But the, the first night, it was unexpectedly successful. The energy was there. Um, and with circus, I've always had the same thoughts. I want people to come in, listen to great music, feel relaxed, and have a good time, and just have a laugh. So you can listen to serious music and still have fun. It's not kind of never been chin stroking, even though the music has always been, you know, not noodles, not super, you know, super underground, but as forward as reality can afford us. You know what I mean? But the first night was really, really fun. And we thought, okay, we're on something here. And since then, we've just continued on. And we're 20 this, this year. 20. 20. Wow. And, and um, we're going to do, hopefully, a series of 20 parties. And, yeah. So what was the point when you started really picking up traction? Was it just a passion project for the first few? Or was there a moment where you thought this is going to be like, yeah. you know, proper, proper business sale? It, it was... Kind of immediate, I suppose. And I, th- I think why is because there was a community of people in Liverpool that wanted to listen to underground house and techno and also wanted to do something that was fun. And our kind of friends circle was growing and growing and growing, friends of friends of friends. Excuse me. And also, we, we had this circus message board. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we had this ridiculous chat room. I'm just putting it up, and it's like a, like a chat room, and you put some stuff up. Um, and a message board, but it became at one point the busiest chat message board in Europe. It was like an online thing? Yeah, people were just chatting absolute nonsense. <laughs> like, from the moment you got into work. Is it before we, social media? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was <laughs> you started like, it? It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was really, really, really off kilter. But I had to switch it off in the end because it was, it was getting out of control. But my point is, so many people made so many friends on that board and they'd go into the club and go, are you this person, that person or the other? And it built a community. Um, and that silliness, coupled with good music, is, uh, has always been with us. So at what point, uh, so is it, at this point, is it just a club night? At what point did it really start to scale into to the multiple rooms, bigger venues? Um, yeah, we... Let's see. We've done a couple of years at, at the Mass. And then we got an opportunity to, to, to do Nation, which is Cream's old venue. Because I think we got like bigger lineups. I think I think one day, because uh, I was booking and said to Rich, we've got Carl Cox, we've got Adam Bay, we've got Dubfire, we've got um, Davide Scolacci's first gig in the UK, and we've got someone like Dead Mouse and Eric Pritz, and everyone, everyone's available. What do you reckon? And Rich is the same thing. Oh, okay. 
Let's just do it. So, so, so we just did it. And, uh, and, and that was that. So we, we did like our first like 3,000 capacity event, um, which was bananas, <laughs> you know, in terms of like, uh, yeah, before, during, and definitely after. Um, so, we, so we just went on and built, built from there. And then later down the road, after doing a couple of missions, we had to move to Cabin Fairness because what happened there? I think the mask, which is now the art club, lost its license. We had, we had literally nowhere to go. So we'd heard of this, of this empty warehouse ish in the Baltic district. And before Cabin Fairness was Cabin Fairness, when we got there, it never had like, any bars or any security or anything. Just give us the keys a couple of days before Christmas and we like, help yourself. We were like, okay. So we took our bars in, set it all up, put the booze in and everything. On Christmas Eve, all the booze got, got whipped. <laughs> and it was classic. But, um, but anyway, we, we got through that. Another amazing event on Boxing Day. And bit by bit, I guess, it's been, it's been a combination of... Um, Bravery, you know, it's like let's give, like, let's just do it, and like bravado and naivety, and it's kind of got us this far now. But I think we um, definitely accomplished these days. And have there been any you know, some, talking about some of the um, the action book there, and like you know bringing that level of talent to Liverpool? Were there any kind of moments where you had that real like pinch me? I can't believe like the favorite DJs playing, the crowd's absolutely rocking. This is just. Yeah. So worth all of the kind of late nights for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one, I mean, Circus' first birthday when I got Derek Carter, who's my hero, who you know that I'm going to come play, and he was amazing, and that was great. But then maybe two years later, we got an opportunity to book a Laurent Garnier. And um, again, which is like, do you want to do it? And Circus was strictly a house club at that point. You know, very much Chicago, New York house, and Laurent plays everything. And they said, okay, do you want to do it? Because otherwise I'll do it myself under Shibuku, one of his other brands. I said, look, let's just do it. And Laurent said, what do you want me to play? And I said, bravely, do what you want. Play anything you want. Play start to finish in the theatre, which is my room, and he's the only DJ to play all night other than me. And he started off with dub, into reggae, into disco, built up into house, and then just kind of epic, intense techno. He even played like Nirvana, and it was intense, and it was going off. And because we completely broke down the musical genre for us, it, it almost like changed everything. And also, it happened to be my birthday, and then he came into the small room afterwards with me in the bar at the yeah, mass. Yeah. It's like a hundred people, maybe, maybe like twice the size of the stage, and then he went on to play uh, three hours disco just for me in the night while we all got wasted. And it was absolutely unbelievable. Insane. Yeah. And so my own relationship with uh, Laurent has been like rock solid and cemented since that moment. And that was probably 16, 17 years ago. Wow, amazing. Yeah. When, when you reflect on some of the best parties, is there, is there like an ingredient to what makes it good? Is it the talent, the crowd, the dates? Do you kind of know when it's launched, if it's going to be a good one? Like, well, yeah, I, I guess the, 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 there's a lot of ways to, to, to look at things because in terms of like you want it to be successful, because for me, it's really important that people have a good time and it makes you feel welcome. And also, we don't lose money, you know, because I don't want to be miserable, you know, but unfortunately, we've managed to kind of keep our heads above water. Pretty much, it's been, in 20 years, I think there's been two or three where it's been like, okay, we took it then. Uh, but overall, it's been, you know, solid. But because of that, I just want people to have a good time. And 
see if they can feel the way I do about the music and about the experience and just just having fun in like in the environment and making friends and even these days it's like a generation of people that like are married and kids and stuff like that. So but yeah, I think trying to highlight it, I, honestly it's really simple. I just want people to have a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about some of the ones where you had kind of had to take a hit and you know take what take those ones on the chin, not to go into the details, but you know, when you reflect on those events, was it or oh, kind of moments like what was it what that went wrong? Was there anything you definitely wouldn't do again? Did you learn anything from those shows? Well, I think one thing you learn is you will always make mistakes. Yeah, even with like twenty years experience and working with someone like Rich um and myself with you know so much knowledge. Even then, occasionally, you drop the ball. Not often at all. It's very few and far between. But with a venue, now that's 3,000 capacity. And you have to build it. If you drop the ball, you know about it. But, um, like I say, overall, very few and far between. Yeah. And with, with those events, is it from the launch to just kind of get a feeling like your reaction's not being great? Or is it kind of, you know, at what point do you think this probably isn't going the way that, you know, you want it to go? Well, it's usually a combination of things. Like, we, we did a Solomon show not long ago, and obviously, Solomon's one of the biggest names in the world and is really popular in Liverpool, and everybody wanted to see him. But we, we got offered a date, and my gut was like, don't do it regardless because, you know, it doesn't feel right. But we did it anyway, and it was solid, and everyone had a great time. But the reality was, didn't work economically at all because we only got like half the people in there and it was because it was a couple of days before Christmas and that was a mistake you, you can't mess a few days before Christmas in Liverpool everyone's in the boozer yeah. doesn't matter who you are so that, that was the mistake so uh, how many decades would you say you've been in the music industry starting from when you first started DJing um, probably two and a half Two and a half decades, okay. So I imagine a lot of stuff has changed since then. I guess the obvious of kind of like social media being a thing, musical trends, just, you know, events becoming a lot more experiential. And yeah, I guess there's, you know, festivals coming to the mix, all that type of stuff. Um, What are you happy about that has changed in that time? Um, Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that people have more access to music. You know, rather than kind of, because I've never been one to kind of like, I've got this, you can't have it. I want everyone to be invited to the party. You know, and I, I don't really understand why people would make a record and not let people play or have that record. I'm like, the whole point of it is so many people can hear it as possible, surely. So I, I do like that to be, there's a level playing field of sorts. And obviously there's a lot of vinyl releases you just can't get hold of. But that's kind of expanded the scene so much in terms of the, Access to like um, being able to make music, play music, prepare, do your own events, and therefore it's it's afforded us to be the most significant musical situation since rock music, since the 50s, you know, and it's not going anywhere. And it's because technology is advanced in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you can't walk into like a hairdresser's or, or a supermarket without some form of electronic music playing. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's a good thing. Yeah, even when I look back to like when I first started getting into dance music and DJing and stuff, it wasn't no one was really a DJ, it wasn't a thing in my when I got decks from family, like what the hell are decks? Like what you want about was now even but that must have been I don't know, about ten years ago now and like 
all kids are getting taxed for Christmas and like people are messaging Lauren all the time so you know my little cousin wants DJ lessons but it's not how much that's just changed in 10 years of home but as you say it's dance music as a whole this is becoming a lot more accessible is there anything when you look back to when you first started out that you wish had stayed the same? Um, I, I've got no problem moving forward with anything you know with like any aspect of my life at all um, I'm happy that that happens and I'll move forward on to see I always want to see what's around that corner. Okay, so yeah. you're not one of those who's, oh, back in the day, wasn't, you know, <laughs> wasn't like this. I had this conversation with someone the other day, and they were kind of yakking on and moaning about phones and clubs. And I was like, okay, so you're trying to tell me that if you had said Cream in 1992 or it was, and you had a phone then, you wouldn't have recorded, like Roger Sanchez or whoever it was, doing this thing. Definitely one of the phones and clubs are a symptom of the fact that we live in 2022, not 1992. And you have to just kind of embrace what's happening in that particular moment. And if people want to share that moment, uh, and then so there, they are having the same experience and the same connection with the music and the friends and the excitement and buying the clothes and doing the hair and all those things that we have then. It's just more technology involved. It's, they still feel the same, surely, but they wouldn't go. Yeah. I try, I try and catch myself and try not to do it when I'm on a dance floor and I try and enjoy the moment. But then I think, I actually love looking back at those moments and the reason I want to record, it's not so much for the people, but I love just looking back at those moments. And I've got videos from the first dance yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And I love just kind of now and then going back and reflecting on it. And I think you've got to kind of take the pros with the cons, but you know. It's, precisely. And, you know, okay, it's cool that there's some, some venues uh, that kind of refuse phones, and I'm definitely down with that. You know, obviously, Panorama Bar and stuff like that, and I, I love it um, to kind of get lost in the experience. And I don't record things myself, but my point is, if other people enjoy that, it's just a symptom of 2022. Yeah. So, if you think about your journey from when you started out, how you launched everything, if you had to launch Circus and your DJ career and everything now in kind of 2022, how would you do it? Do you think it'd be different? Do you think it'd be possible to achieve everything that you've achieved if you launched it right now? Well, who knows? I mean, obviously, you know, I, I came through from winning a DJ competition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that, that, that gave me, how can I put it, the key to a door rather than kind of kicking the door in. It was, a, it was an opportunity to kind of think, okay, that's the path, now you've got to run down it. And that's exactly what I did. Like down and kicking every door impossible <laughs> since then, and I haven't stopped. Um, I, I think what would I do differently? Sometimes I reflect upon in my twenties uh, when I was I was touring around the world a lot. I sort of still am, but what I mean is I used to get wrecked a lot more, and I, I, I was the party boy a, a lot of time times, which meant Tuesday to Thursday. Monday to Thursday were just like wipeouts, and, and that's fun, but it meant I didn't get anything done, really, and I wasn't kind of learning how to make music as fast as I should, and I wasn't honing my craft better than it could be, and all those things. But do I regret it? Because it was so fun, and it was hilarious, and it was great times, and even to this day, I can guarantee I'll see someone here, like Jenny just there, that I met on that same journey. Okay. You know, and all these years later, me and Jenny are still great friends. Like we've had those silly experiences in the booth all those years like years ago. Yeah. So I, I don't really know if it would change anything. 
um, or do anything different other than I would remind myself that you have to work hard constantly. Yeah. And I, I was working hard, but I think maybe I could have worked harder because I've got to be self-sufficient in everything I do. Personal reasons. Yeah. No one's really ever done anything for for me because I like to kind of. It's not a control thing. It's a it's an assurance thing. Yeah. As in to make sure that like is it getting done? Kind of make sure that I can uh, you know provide for myself, and that's why I do so many things simultaneously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even I guess with, with social media now, I guess it's a lot easier to do the equivalent of what that networking was without having to to go out. But do you think it's still as important to be on the dance floors, be in the green rooms, just yeah, talking to people, that's where all these opportunities come from because there's definitely an element of social media perhaps blocking that to an extent. Yeah, it's, it's catch, catch 22, isn't it, really? Because I think you do need to be amongst it. And I would always say to anyone that's trying to kind of start, even with us, come down and hang out, have a few drinks, you know, it'll be a laugh and you're not going to leave empty handed, even if all you've had is a good night. Yeah. Um, so doing, doing the networking thing is important. Um, I guess the social media thing, I'm okay at it. Uh, I don't enjoy it that much. You know, it's not like giving yourself too much away, if you like. Um, that's, that's just maybe some DJs don't do it at all. Like, like Jamie Jones is really doing it, Mark McGraw doesn't do it, Dice doesn't do much of it, you know. Um, but then you get the other end of the spectrum who are obsessed by it, but, and, you know, it's, it's a completely different spectrum of who you're trying to aim for as well, because as I said before, the scene is so broad and wide and available to so many people. It's not small to record buyers and those big beyond anymore. So I guess there's a place for everybody, but I just can't do TikTok. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to talk everyone. on TikTok later on if you want to call. Yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> I'm just rubbish at it. I just can't give myself. I've done three posts. <laughs> I even made me cringe. <laughs> well, speaking of, of kind of new trends and things coming through, you know, um, keeping your finger on the pulse, I think, is is something that's so important. And to have been around the music industry for um, for as long as you have been, you know, you, you will have had to do that. So, how do you keep that beginner's mindset? Because I guess with you, it's not just trying to keep a beginner's mindset with promoting events. It's with DJ and production techniques, running a label, A and R, social trends. There's a lot for you to kind of keep up with there. So, is it a conscious thing that you do, or is it how does that process? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really important. I mean, it's in a lot of ways, fed by the label, because I'm, I'm, I'm signing music from people that you would never have heard of that suddenly, you know, bigger names. I've, I've, had, I've had their music on the label for two or three years, and they're kind of like cutting, starting to cut through, and I'm telling Rich, look, man, this is coming down the path, uh, which is useful for him in his other activities, if you like. But some of the, the way that the things work at Circus, it's, it's always been kind of like a major name at the top. Uh, me, me in the middle, kind of halfway between, and then newness at the bottom. So even like 20 years in, we, I'd say every single event, pretty much, we've always had booked a completely new name, like just completely unheard of, and it really helps like move things forward. But I'd say the one thing that keeps me on my toes is listening to other DJs. It's really important. Uh, I think that I think that's vital. Um, yeah, and also just just seeing what's going going on up there with with other events and then other labels and you know, taking meetings and spending time and just I can say being, being immersed into it as um, to quote Seth is you've got to be a lifer. Yeah, you know you really need to kind of if you want to make this your life and career, you've got to commit to it. 
and even now, do you still feel like you need to be out on the events, getting a sense of what's happening on the dance floor? Because obviously the field you get gets tougher to uh, to be out every weekend and in, in between DJing. So is that something you still try and kind of keep? I, I, I like to, but um, I don't do it as often as a, as a could or should, but largely because obviously children vitality and everything else comes around that. But when I do go out and uh, you know I see another person playing, I'm really into and I feel motivated and inspired and ready to kind of get in the studio more than everything, which again feeds everything else. So I think it's important, but as long as you, you know, don't disappear. Yeah. <laughs> two days. Yeah. <laughs> which I've not done for years. It's actually. slippery slope, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm a to be there. Normally, I go in the morning, do the gig in the, in the day, and try to get the flight home. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to, Anything to intrude on my kind of mechanics of what I'm doing. Has that evolved over the years? Like, did, like just looking after yourself and mental health and avoiding burnouts? Because I guess there's a bit maybe pressure in the early years of DJs to kind of just kind of go into the after parties and that's your form of networking. Was there a point you just had to stop looking after yourself? Was it starting to yeah. affect your health? Well, I, I think it was a symptom of, of um, having the children. You know, literally when the children came along, it was like off and that was it you know and I've not gone back since and my son's like eight um, but also I like to make sure I've got the vitality to continue to continue being able to be on the road as such and you know like with vitality you're able to make better decisions and run your businesses better and to sleep better and all those things and look man I put a shift in so it's, it's okay about lots of fun and also you know having children as well because I'm so committed to it and it's actually really really funny as well. <laughs> you know and it's not that different to having an after party to be honest it's like your house is just as trash and like the really good fun and it, it feels nice you know to, just to be a dad and I've, I've had a great time you know doing all that stuff and it, it's fun Cool. So Annie Mac um, last week announced that she was doing a new club night and it's called Before Midnight and um, she did a video about it, it was, it was great and she said a lot of club nights aren't accessible for people who need sleep and a lot of people need sleep so she's doing this new club night concept where you go in at like 7, 8 o'clock, just break your head off for four, four hours and then you're in bed by midnight which I thought was, was genius. So I guess you've got the day raves as well to do that. We've been doing for eight years. I did see that and I was like, Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, but you know, nevertheless, she, she's actually she's got a point at least. But that is interesting because when we started doing our day parties, the demographic went from eighteen to thirteen to eighteen to forty. Yeah, like literally instantly. You know, so people would come in and for those exact reasons, they can, especially if they've met and circus and kids because of it and all those things, and they come in and it's kind of a nostalgia trip. And usually around that age, a lot of them know us. So we kind of give them a bit of access to backstage and drinks and stuff like that. So we can have a sit down and with slippers and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, sport, it, it works. And I think it's it's good for the industry. And again, it, it illustrates how wide a range the music is. Now it's not going anywhere. And it appeals from literally almost like life to death in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking back then, I know you mentioned earlier on you've you've got no regrets. You you know you, you kind of learned your lessons and you're glad you've done everything in the way that you've done. Looking into the future, which I know is hard, we haven't got a crystal ball. Um, you know when you think of 
of your uh, DJ career, the label, the events? Where do you, have you got a goal of where you want to take it? Is there a kind of you know, north star that you're working towards? It changes every week. Yeah, that sums me up in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've kind of got the uh, attention span of someone that should be wearing shorts on a day to day basis. <laughs> and I don't mean a Ricky thing, but no, you know, so sometimes I want to really concentrate on my DJ career a lot more. And that, that's where I'm at the moment, you know, making all these tunes and things like that. I don't want to be uh, the touring DJ more, even though I still am. But, but then that compromises my vitality. But then I want the events to be really successful. And that's okay because it doesn't compromise my vitality, but it means I'm not on the road. And I want to make tunes a lot more. But you don't get any of the back of it, really. It's, but it is kind of its own, its own outlay. So you could ask me every week, and you know what? The one thing I want out of, out of this, and one thing I've kind of achieved above everything, is I've made something that I love doing in my career. You know, um, that's the top achievement. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I guess we've touched on, on what you felt like has made your journey so successful in terms of determination. You said that's a, a non-negotiable for you, like that, that's just been the way that you've um, achieved everything you have. When you look back, were there any kind of like sliding doors moments or like when you reflect of your secrets of success and how you've done it? Has there been moments in time or anything else that has, has landed you to where you are today? Uh, I think, yeah, there's probably lots. Like my first gig at Pasha when I won the competition. And life changer of the man's because I nailed it to the floor and I just thought that's how everyone wins. Turns out the doubts and things changed. Standing on agents and a manager and that thing started on the road. Uh, I think me and Rich, when in, in Korea, he seen a picture of me in a music magazine. And then he was like, do you want a gig in Ireland? And he gave me the first first gig on a plane to go to Ireland, which is a whole different story as well. But um, I guess it's just time, effort, creativity. So I'm a really naturally creative person. Um, but I'm also very much into kind of putting shift in. You know, I, I, you've got to do both. I think that a lot, a lot of other artists don't realise you've actually got to do the business and the hard work side of things as well. Um, but yeah, you know, sliding doors moments, get myself out of bed and just thinking this is what I want to do. I used to practice for 10 hours a day, DJing when I first got my decks, every day for years. And it's exactly what I do now with circus. Practice every day, like 10 hours a day, doing one thing or another. So, same principle. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so interesting to uh, to listen to your story. And thank you for all the memories you've given me on dance floors and events. And yeah, kind of helped me with my journey into to work in music and events as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating. And can't wait to see what, what you're up to next. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much.